for we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, that's where we're going to kind of get started from this morning. John chapter 13. Um, I'm going to put a phrase on, on the, the screen, and I want you to tell me. We'll, we'll kind of use this to, to kind of get us into our lesson and our text this morning. Loneliness is one of our greatest anxieties. True or false? True or false? True. Loneliness is one of our greatest anxieties. I, I believe really and truly that maybe your loneliness may be one of the first anxieties that we ever feel. Maybe one of the first anxieties that we ever feel. We have a lot of little babies in our room. We've talked about that several times. But when a baby is in their crib and they wake up and they're all alone, what, what do they do? They cry. Why do they cry? Because they're alone. You know, either that or they're hungry or they need the diaper change, one of the three, but they're alone. And, and in that loneliness, in that, that desire to want to be held, they feel kind of that anxiety, I believe, for the first time. And as we kind of grow up and keep going in our life, loneliness becomes something that I believe that we begin to fear. And I think loneliness can be talked about in a couple of ways. I believe first loneliness can be talked about in a way of, of maybe something we'll call situational loneliness, okay? Situational loneliness. This is Great definition here. This is loneliness that has to do with the situation. Are we all on the same page so far? Situational loneliness. Loneliness that has to do with a situation. Maybe it's the end of a relationship that you were in. And because I'm no longer in that relationship, I miss that relationship, I miss that dynamic, and there's loneliness there. Maybe it's because I'm in an unhappy relationship. And in that unhappy relationship, I long for something else. I long for a better companion. I long for deeper intimacy. I long for just better things in this relationship. And so because of that unhappiness, I have loneliness. Maybe there's pain in that relationship. And that pain causes loneliness. We can move on from relationships and talk about the idea of moving or a new job or a new school. Uh, doing, what, doing what I do, doing ministry, uh, because of ministry, uh, there's been different times along the way uh, that we've had to pack up and move. And coming here was a great blessing. Coming here was a great blessing. But I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest sacrifices in doing what we do is the moving. And really that is tied into the relationships because when we left Kingston in particular, Kingston in particular, there was, we had a great group of friends there. We had a great group of friends there. Um, Collins was involved in, in some fun things and she had, with the beginning of, you know, the core group of friends that she would have had if we had stayed. We, we had some Bible study groups that we had started, some discipleship groups, and through those, Blair and I had just made some of the best relationships up to that point that we had ever made in ministry with people our age and, and in the same place in our life. And so we move here and although it was a blessing and it's great and, and those relationships, if you will, have not been replaced, but they've been added to over the three years that we've been here. When we got here, every one of you were strangers to me. 
Every one of you. And these relationships that I had and that I leaned into, I missed. And it was because I moved and had a new job. And in the beginning of that job, there is a loneliness. Especially when you start a new job and then six months in, we quit going to church together. You know, there's, there's loneliness. Uh, when you go to a new school, I know, that, uh, I know that some of our students have gone from elementary school to middle school and then from middle school to high school. And in that, even though you're with the same people, Collins and I were talking about this, and I, she said, it's like... It's the same family, but in a different house. It's like it's the same people you've been to school with all these years, but now all of a sudden you're in this strange place. And even though you're in this strange place and you've got the same people, there's still a sense of anxiety because you don't know exactly what's going to go on. There's, there's relationship loneliness there, I believe, or situational loneliness. Maybe it's health problems. Maybe there's the fear in that, that we're afraid that something's going to happen and I'm going to be alone. The fear of the future. What does the future hold? Is, is, is the thing, are the things that I hold to now going to continue to be here, or am I going to be left all alone? Situational loneliness. This is something that we deal with kind of on a, an ebb and flow basis. You know, sometimes it's good and great, and then sometimes we go through periods in our life, the situation changes, and in that moment, we feel that anxiety of loneliness. Then there's this other idea that we're going to call existential loneliness, okay? And it is a general anxiety that ultimately you are all alone, you are unloved, and this is all there is. That I'm here in this world, no one loves me. No one cares for me. I'm never going to have relationships that are meaningful. I always have problems in relationships. I'm just all alone. There's no fulfillment. And, 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 and there's nothing beyond this. There's nothing for me to look forward to. And so I, I, I'm just going to live this life. I'm going to be all alone. I've got this great anxiety. And when I die, it's all going to be for nothing. Because I'm just alone. And I believe this idea of existential loneliness really comes from the result of the fall of humanity. It comes from the result of the fall of humanity. If you, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God starts creating things. God starts making things. God, God makes you know, everything in six days. But one of the greatest things about His creation is the relationship that man has with God. That man has with God. And so... You know, there's even, there's even a great kind of teaching of loneliness here. Adam, if you will, Adam is the CEO of creation, right? Adam is in charge of all creation. He is on this earth, and he's got all these jobs, and he's got all these animals, and he's got all these pets and pals. Let me ask you something. How many of you, you think if worse came to worse, and it was just you and your dog, you'd be all right? You have any of those people? Just as long as you got you and your dog, you're going to be all right, you know? And... Um, you know, we, we have those relationships with our pets, and Adam's got all these pets. But what did God look at? God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to what? Be alone. And so what does he create? He creates a spouse. He creates Eve. This is even considering the fact that he has a personal relationship, a one-on-one face-to-face relationship with God himself. He still knew that there was a relationship that he needed to have with with a spouse. So he, he, he dealt with that loneliness. But then Adam and Eve, once they have that relationship, that relationship is combined with the relationship with God. It says that they would walk in the cool of the evening together with God. They'd have conversation with Him. But what does sin do to that relationship? Splits it, doesn't it? 
it breaks up. They break up with God, essentially. They divorce that relationship with God. Now, all of a sudden, there was a God who was right there with them all the time, and now he's gone in that personal relationship. And I believe that since that time, because of sin, there has been an emptiness inside of man that is a direct result, a loneliness that is a direct result of sin because that relationship has been damaged. And the purpose of the cross and the purpose of, etern- of, our, of our existence in eternity is to, is to fulfill or to repair that relationship so that one day we again have that fullness of relationship with God and that loneliness really and truly disappears. But that brings us still back to this idea that loneliness is one of our greatest anxieties. Something we all understand, something we all deal with. And because of that, we have a tendency to respond to loneliness. We have a tendency to respond to loneliness. And a lot of times we respond to loneliness in a negative way. There are some poor responses to loneliness. There's chemical treatment. And what I mean by chemical treatment is is a lot of times we turn to to drugs. People do turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They they, they turn to negative things that they think, oh, I'm going to deaden this loneliness, okay? It's not a cure for the loneliness, but I'm just going to do something that stuffs this loneliness where I don't have to feel it anymore. Sometimes I'm lonely, so I'm going to jump into a bad or reckless relationship. I don't want to be by myself, so being in a bad relationship is better than being alone. Sometimes there's manic emotions. I'm jealous of people who who have what I'm missing. I I, I act out, and and I just have negative emotions. Some people, and I think we've all interacted with people like this, some people, if they're going to be alone and they're going to hurt, what are they going to do? They're going to hurt you because they want you to feel the pain that they feel. Another way that people try to respond to loneliness is the accumulation of stuff. I don't have this relationship, so I'm going to try to fill it with these things, these things that make me happy. But there again, they're really just a distraction from the loneliness, sometimes busyness. Some of the most successful people in this world are also the most lonely people in this world because they're so lonely that all they can know to do is to fill their time with busyness, with work, with, with accomplishments, and just keep on pushing and pushing and pushing because if I'm busy, then I'm not going to think about being lonely. But all of these things, they're just a distraction. They're not a cure to loneliness. We all have this anxiety of loneliness. One of our first fears, one of our first anxieties and something we all deal with but loneliness is our greatest anxiety but what Jesus is the what's the next word say it louder Jesus is the answer to this fear Jesus is the answer to this fear so as you open your Bibles to John chapter 13 John chapter 13 and 14 are if you will Jesus farewell address to his apostles Jesus knows that the cross is just moments away. It's just moments away. He has spent you know, all of this time on earth knowing that this is going to be the end point. All the things have lined up. All the things are happening. And he starts out this moment in chapter 13. And what does he start by doing in chapter 13? He takes these 12 guys and he sets them down in the room and he takes their shoes off, takes their sandals off. He puts a towel around his waist and he starts washing their feet. And he's trying to teach them something. What's he trying to teach them? He's trying to teach them the importance of love and servanthood. 
love and servanthood. And then as he begins to, to, to show really this great show of love, he goes on in this conversation, and this is what he says. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I'm telling you now where I am going, what does he say? You cannot come. But a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, read it with me, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Let's back up and look at the beginning of this. I will only be with you a little longer. What is he saying? Before too long, you're going to be what? Alone. You're going to be alone. Jesus had sold these guys on following him in a positive way, in a great way. And he had said, look, what I need from you guys is I need you to go out on a limb with me. We're going to change things up. We're going to shake the world up. We're going to turn the world upside down. But, but before we get to that point, I need you to follow me. I need you to do what I do. I need to train you. I need to bring you along. I, I need you to, to watch me and listen to me. And when you're struggling with something, talk to me about it. We'll work through it. These guys worked together, lived together, slept together, ate together, fished together, laughed together, told jokes together, cried together for three solid years. For three solid years, they were just joined at the hip with each other. Now this guy that they had sold out to, had followed, had given their livelihood up for, walks up and tells them, hey guys, I got some news. In just a little while, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be with you anymore. What do you figure their reaction was? You think any of them were like, whoo, the teacher's out of the classroom. Think it was that? Or do you think it was more like Peter? What do you mean you're leaving? What, what, what do you mean you're leaving? Where, where are you going? Where, where, where are you going? We've gone everywhere you've been the last three years. Where, where are you, what do you mean we can't go with you? That phrase right there, where are you going, to me is an expression of anxiety. Why can't we go with you? We've been everywhere that you've been. And so Jesus responds to that with this phrase. And this is kind of the core of our text today as we think about the I am's of Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever, I know a lot of times when we talk about this particular text, we talk about it in a sense of salvation. And that is a very proper way, I believe, to think about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. But if you look at it in the context, what's he talking to them about? He's talking to them about the anxiety that they're dealing with in him leaving. And so he looks at them, and as they're worried about what's going on, he says, Jesus answered, say this with me, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father, how? Except through me. What's the, what, what did I say? The whole purpose of the cross and getting to eternity is so that our relationship with who is restored? God. And he's saying, look, I'm leaving but remember this, this thing you're searching for, this relationship with God, this loneliness that you're trying to feel in your life only comes, how? Through a relationship with me. And I've got to leave for a little while so that ultimately the relationship with the Father that you want, 
can be fulfilled. So that loneliness that you have in your life because of the fall of man can be undone. And to me, when I think about this text, when I think about the things that he's talking about here, I think it goes back to the importance of our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and how to overcome the loneliness that we face in our life. So what, what ideas do we draw from this, okay? How, how can this be about this particular subject? Because maybe you've never heard of it talked about in this way. So let's look a little bit deeper at some of the conversation that God has here, or Jesus has here with them, and I think that it'll flesh out for you. So he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Jesus is the answer to the anxiety of loneliness in our life. How is that? Well, the first thing is this. The first thing that he has given us, he says, immerse yourself in God's remedies for loneliness. Okay, so we have poor, poor ideas of how to deal with loneliness, but Jesus says, I'm going to give you a remedy for loneliness. Ultimately, it's a relationship with Jesus and with God, but there's some other things that are involved in that that we've got to make sure we take advantage of. So we go back and we look at 34 and 35 of chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you. What's the new command? What's the new command? Love one another, but then he goes a little bit further. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what is, what is the first remedy, the main remedy in this particular text that he gives us to our loneliness? Love from who? Love from God? That's true, that's there, but what's he mentioning in this verse? Love from who? One another. Love for one another. I truly believe, y'all, I truly believe that a truly committed, sold-out Christian should never truly feel existential loneliness. Situational loneliness, yes, but not this, that this is, there's no, no one loves me, everybody hates me. You know, there's nothing better because, because in this room, in this family, there should be nothing but what? There should be nothing but love. Now, let's just be real and honest for a moment. Anytime a family spends enough time together, we're eventually going to walk with each other. We're going to get on each other's nerves every now and then, right? I'm not going to like what Ron does, and Ron's not going to like what I do. And we may have to, you know, we may rub on each other like sandpaper a little bit, but ultimately we can work through that. And, and like I told my class today, as long as we work through that, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Especially if we what? Love one another especially as we love one another. That is, I read this this week, and I, and I think, it, it took me a second. It took me a second to, to really process this. It's not that the church needs you. Okay, let's just stop right there for a second. It's not that the church needs you. And you know, that's, that's kind of counter to what we talk about all the time, right? Like, I'm, like we, we need you to do this, and we need you to do that. We need you to use your talents, and we need you to use your abilities. But I, the, the way that, I think that this guy meant this, is the church doesn't need you as in this is an institution that requires your membership, okay? It's not like, um, it's not like your members, it's not, I mean, God wants us, but he doesn't need us. Does that make sense? 
God wants us to do these things, but God is, is, is God. He's going to exist whether we're here or not. Okay, the church is going to go on whether you're here or not. It's not that the church needs you, but it's that we what? Need each other. Do you get the difference there? Do you see the importance of that? The church really and truly exists so that we can be together. So that we can have this relationship with God, okay? So we can have this relationship. This, 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 the church is not about worship on Sunday morning. And a lot of times that's what we've made it. I become a Christian and then I've got to what? Go to church. But the church is not just about worship. The church is not just about um, sitting in this pew and singing songs, even though sometimes I believe we're guilty of boiling it down to that. The church, Jesus says the first command, that, that he, the first new command he says here that I'm going to give you guys as you move forward is that you've got to be about loving each other. And how do you know if you're loving each other the way we need to be loving each other? How do we know that? Everybody on the outside is going to be able to look into us and go, wow, look at their love. Look at their love. That should be something that draws people to us, the way that we love each other. But a lot of times what people do is they come up to the wall of the church building and they get to the edge of the wall and they peek over and they're looking in. And you know what they see? They see people who say they follow Christ, but they love like the world loves a lot of times. I'm going to love you as long as you do what I want you to do. As long as you do things my way. As long as you do the things that I want. As long as, as, long as my feelings are the most important. As long as my desires are the most important. I'll love you. And I'll love everybody else. But the minute I don't get my way. The minute I get my feelings hurt. The minute you do something that I don't think you should do. Whether it's scriptural or unscriptural. It doesn't matter. It's whether I think it should be done. I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. When the world sees us act that way, are we ever going to grow? Are we ever going to save anybody? Because you know what they say? I get treated that way at work. Why do I want to go to church and be treated that way? But if they see us love people like Jonathan just because he's an LSU fan, and we, we, we just care for him anyway, or whatever your shortcoming might be. Not that an LSU fan's a shortcoming, but regardless of what addiction you might have, regardless of what personality quirks you might have, regardless of how different we might be, when the world sees me say, hey, you know what? It's not about me. I'm going to make it about you. And everybody else in the room goes, it's not about me. I'm going to make it about you. And I'm going to love you despite this and despite this and despite this. Jesus says, then the world's going to look at you and know you follow Jesus. You're never going to have to tell them. They're just going to know. And when we love each other that way, I can know that I have a place. I have a purpose. I have a home. I'm not alone. There are people here that care for me and love me and are never going to let me just be left behind. So that's the first idea here is that immerse yourself in God's remedies for loneliness. Immerse yourself, cover yourself in the love of the church, which means everybody needs to be loving. We all got to get there. We all, all got to be there. The next one is this. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, I, I like this phrase because there, there's... 
there is a routine in keeping God's commands, I believe. And I don't mean that routine in a bad way. I mean that in the greatest way possible. You see, if I'm just living my life the way I want to live, if I'm just living my life the way I want to live and I'm doing things the way I want to do, I'm going to be kind of bouncing from here to there and this is going to be important one moment and then it's not going to be important and this is going to be important the next moment and then you know, then it's not going to be important and I'm going to have focus over here and then something's going to catch my attention over here. I'm going to live in this direction. I'm going to chase this dream. I'm going to chase that dream. This person's going to... You know, my life is just scattered. When I live for myself, my life is scattered. But he starts out, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And what I like about this idea is in a positive way, the rhythms of God give me structure. It gives me structure. It gives me routine. It gives me the ability to assess a situation and know how to deal with it and know how to handle it, and know how to properly overcome it. It gives me a group of people that when I can't figure it out, they love me, so I'm going to step myself right in the middle of them. And I'm going to say, hey, help me in this moment. You're doing great at keeping God's command here. I'm struggling with it. Help me find this rhythm again. You know, sometimes we talk about coming to church, coming to worship, just out of routine is a bad thing, and it is to a degree if it's just a routine. But it can be also a positive routine, a positive rhythm that keeps me moving in that right direction, and I'm not scattered, and I'm not all over the place. I'm not all over the place. So he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And when you do that, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Some of your Bibles say, um, counselor and that's the idea of someone who comes alongside of you and just helps you out and deals with things for you um, as you face things to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth whose spirit god's spirit the holy spirit the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him and for he lives with you and will be in you Okay, so he says, look, live this life, live this life in the power of the Holy Spirit. To me, there is a few different ways that we can define faith. And maybe one of the dearest ways, but also one of the, one of the most dangerous ways, is inherited faith. Is inherited faith. So let me let me just just ask you just for a show of hands for just a moment. Um, how many of you, your parents went to church here at Ninth Avenue? Your parents went to church here at Ninth Avenue. Okay, raise them high. How many of you, your grandparents also went to church here at Ninth Avenue? Okay, a few more. Do we have even further than that? Do we have great grandparents that maybe went to church here? So, is, I don't I don't know if we have that far back here or not. Okay, so a lot of times. Um, I, I, I go to church here because it's where I grew up, right? My, my grandmother went to church here. My mom went to church here. I go to church here. Um, I, I look at my family, and although our family is in, in a lot of different, a lot of different places and, and different situations, um, my my church lineage is great. My church lineage is great. Um, I'm very proud of it. I have 
um, generations of elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers that are in my family that they have passed their faith from one generation to the next. My granddaddy was a preacher. That's all I ever wanted to be because of him was a preacher. And, and, and to a degree, he passed that love and that desire down to me. I inherited a lot of their faith. But a lot of times, if we're not careful, inherited faith becomes traditional faith. Inherited faith becomes traditional faith. My grandmother did it this way. My mom did it this way. My granddad did it this way. My dad did it this way. Therefore, it's important for me to do it this way. This is the way we've always done it here. And that's one of my least favorite words in ministry. Well, the way we've always done it is this. You know what someone told me one time? Someone told me that a tradition is a bad idea you can't get rid of. And that's supposed to be funny, okay? One of you laughed at it. Two of you laughed at it. Maybe it's not as funny as I think. Okay, it's all right. We'll move on from that. Um, but a lot of times, what I mean by traditional faith is if things change, if things are different than the way I'm used to, my faith is shaken because my faith is not grounded in God. My faith is grounded in the way things have always been done. And as long as the way things have always been done stay that way, I feel connected to God. But the problem with that is if I'm just grounded in the way things have always been done, I'm never going to experience the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because I don't need him. I've got things lined up just the way they're supposed to be. I like this guy when he does this. I like this family because they do that. I like this teacher when they teach that. I like this song leader when they sing this. You know, I don't like this song leader because he sings that. I like this preacher because he preaches this way. I don't like this guy because... And so as long as everything lines out the way that I want them to line out, as long as they stay the same, my faith feels secure. But you see, the Holy Spirit works in us when our faith is pushed. The Holy Spirit works in us when our faith is challenged. Because then, when my faith is challenged, you know who I have to lean into? I have to lean into God. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit can wake up and He can help me decide, is this is this something that doesn't need to happen because it's just wrong? Or is this something that can happen and I'm just uncomfortable with it because I'm not used to change? But you see, great things happen when we let the Holy Spirit into our lives and we walk in the Holy Spirit. But that can be challenging because the Holy Spirit will challenge us not to do anything crazy. No, 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 no. Not to do anything wrong. Not to do anything ever to draw attention to ourselves because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to always shine a light on Jesus. But He may challenge us to get out of our comfort zone and serve Jesus in a way we never thought about before. To give into Jesus in a way we never thought we could give. To worship Jesus in an environment that maybe we're not completely comfortable with because it doesn't feel like the way we've always done. It's not necessarily wrong. But it's just different. But you see, when, I'm, when I hold to traditional faith, then I open myself up for loneliness when things change. Because I'm holding on to the way things have always been, and everybody else is moving on, and now I'm sitting here all alone. But when I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm always connected to God. Always. And I'll never be alone. So, He lives in you. Here's, whoa, here's the third thing. We're going to hit these quicker as we wrap up. Trust in God's promise of a better place. 
trust in God's promise for a better place. Um, we've, we've lived a lot of places. We've lived um, in Tennessee, in McMinnville. Then we moved to Hoxie, Arkansas. Help me, Collins. How many, how many houses we've lived, did we live in? Eight? Before we lived in this one, eight. Right? I think that's right. Seven before this one. So in, in Collins' life, Collins, at 11 years old, has lived in eight different houses. Eight different houses. Because we would rent here and rent there and find a little bit better deal here. We lived in uh, two houses in McMinnville. Then we went to Arkansas and we lived in a few houses. Then we lived in a couple of places and, and back when we went to... And so Collins kind of had this idea. And Col, I'm gonna, I had this deal that Collins gets $5 every time I mention her in her sermon. She's like up to 40 bucks today. So... Um, you know, Collins never really had a feeling of what is home. The, the other kids were younger and didn't get it as much. But by the time we got here, you know, the house we lived in here was just another house, you know. But then finally one day, we bought our first house, and guess where we went? For the first time, we all felt like we got to go home. We got to go home. We knew Blair and I had finally decided we're going to work toward this. Took us several years to get there. We're working to a better situation, a better place, a place to call home. And God promises you the same thing. God promises you and says, hey, look, let me tell you something. There are some great things about this place. I love living on this earth. How many of you love living on this earth? There's things about this earth that you love. Absolutely. But he says there's something better. There's something better. So our next text here, John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believed in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. Some of you are reading from another translation that, that we all know what it says there. It says, there are many what? Mansions. Many mansions. And the reason there's, a, there's an issue there is the word there just means house with many rooms. House with many rooms. Okay, so to us in the English language, a house with many rooms is a mansion. So that makes sense. But that's also kind of given this false idea of heaven a little bit of, of this, this like majestic reward that it's, it's, it's almost monetary based. Because we look at mansions as something that rich people have. And I may be poor here. I am a poor wayfaring stranger. But one of these days I'm going to have a mansion robe and a crown. And the emphasis is on mansion and not the relationship with God. Okay, So we've got to be careful with that here. The reason the NIV and some of the other translations says a house with many rooms, a lot of scholars believe, is a reference back to the temple. The reference back to the temple there in the day of Jesus, all of the priests had rooms around the temple, okay? They lived in rooms around the temple. It was a house with many rooms, and they were the closest people to who? The presence of God. Because the presence of God dwelled where? In the temple. And so if you could get a room where the priests live, you're going to be where? Right there with Jesus, or right there with God. And there's the connection here. In my Father's house, there are what? Many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you? Would I have told you that I'm going there to what? Prepare a place for you. How many of you are living in a house you built? How many of you are living in a house you built? Okay, is that an exciting thing to see your house built? It is, isn't it? And to have some say and know that when you walk in that house for the very first time and you go to live in that house, everything is what? New. If you've not built your house, you know what you're living in? A used house. 
living in a used house, right? Someone else has walked across the floor. Someone else has flushed that toilet. Someone else has washed dishes in that dishwasher. Someone else, you know, I mean, just, just figure it out. It's been used. But he says, I'm going to what? Prepare something new, something great, something better, a, a, a dwelling place right there in the presence of God. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. What's the anxiety? Jesus, you're leaving us. We're going to be alone. But what does he say? No, 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 no. I'm leaving and I'm going to do something. I'm going to make this great place for you. And when that's finished, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you so that you can be there also. Here's the last thing. Live with Jesus. Don't just know about Jesus. It's kind of how we introduced all this last week. Do you know Jesus? Or are you just kind of familiar with Jesus? Look at this last verse. And I love this verse. John 14, verse 20. On that day, what day? The day that I come and get you. On that day, you will realize. Now follow this. I, Jesus, am in my Father. And you are in me. You're in Jesus. And I am in you. What does he say here? There's going to come a time where we're going to be so intimately connected. We're going to be so intimately connected. And the truth is, is excuse me, we don't have to just wait for eternity to that. He's already told us he's going to send us the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. When you have your sins washed away in baptism, when you, when you, when you make that great confession and you say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you take it that next step and you are baptized, you have your sins washed away, and you're added to the family, in that moment of your baptism, he says, I'm going to give you the gift of who? The gift of what? The Holy Spirit. He says he's there to comfort you, to advocate for you, to secure your salvation, to seal you so people know that you are mine. Okay, you see, the only way we get that is through baptism. The only way we have the Spirit of God in us is through baptism. Baptism is not just about salvation. It's also about the Holy Spirit. And we don't have salvation without the Holy Spirit. But when we get that Spirit, we have that intimate connection with God. And we can move beyond knowing of God and beginning to know God. So make sure that you understand that connection. It's possible to sit in a room with a thousand people and feel alone. It's possible. And I think we've all had situations in our life where we feel that way. But this morning, Jesus looks at you and he says, I am. I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that relationship that we feel we've missed out on, that relationship that was damaged by one man and one woman that separated us from God can be fulfilled, can be reattained, can be fixed through the great I am through Jesus himself. And I hope that you have a relationship with him this morning. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the chance to be with you today, to be in your presence, to be in the presence of our brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that this room 
begins to just fill and overflow with love the more time that we spend with each other. Help us to walk in your spirit every single day and to have an intimate relationship with you in the most powerful way. God, I know that there are hearts that are troubled here today, and you tell us, hey, don't don't be troubled. It's going to be okay because I'm coming back. I've got things taken care of. Help us to lean into you, God, when we face fear and anxiety of any kind. God, I pray for those this morning who don't have that salvation relationship with you, who have not ever experienced the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you will convict their hearts today, that you will prick them, and that they will see the need to have their sins washed away so that they can live in a new life with you every single day. Forgive us, God. Help us to just strive to imitate you every day. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, his example, and his sacrifice. Fill us with your love and spirits. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus And Twitter morning stars began For the love Be sure to join us again And until then, remember to love like Jesus man to man, ever sing